welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Before I get started on this week's episode, I just want to talk a little bit about the podcast and what you can do to help support me because I have so many of you lovely people who reach out to me saying that you love the podcast or sharing the podcast and I just want to say thank you for that. And then just let you know, and this isn't a guilt trip thing, this is a um, reality thing. Um, I spend a lot of time making this podcast and I do it from my heart. I do it because it's a passion of mine and I want to motivate and inspire and help anybody out there who might find it. And so you can really help me, number one, by continuing to share it on your social media. Um, But I maintain that the best way to share this is to grab the link to the episode and text it to somebody that you know. Um, so that they can just click it in their text and listen to it. The easier we make it for people to do something that we recommend, the more likely it is that they're going to do it. So if you have a friend or two that you could just send them a link to your favorite episode or this episode, I'd really appreciate it. I don't get paid for this podcast. I don't even have a a sponsorship deal with Anchor anymore. I don't really know why. I don't understand how that stuff works. But um, I do um, promote Built Bars and Smart Baking Company on this podcast because they're two treats, protein bars and treats that I really love, that I feel really good about what, what they're made of and their ingredients. And they're delicious and they fit into a healthy lifestyle. And so when you purchase Built Bars or you purchase from Smart Baking Company using my discount codes, um, I get a little kickback from that. So instead of just handing someone money, um, you can buy something delicious and awesome and then also be supporting me in this podcast. So those are some ways that you can support me and this podcast. So thank you in advance. Self-love. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, my life story, it involves so many mistakes <laughs> that I made as a direct result of not knowing myself or loving myself and having a really messed up understanding of what love was and was not. And of course, I didn't know really how to take care of my emotions and and my childhood experiences shaped that. And our childhood experiences shape our identities, obviously, and often how we are loved or shown li- love gives us a very skewed perspective on what love is and what it is not. You know, I'm 42 and I'm still paying the price for my earliest mistakes by marrying my first husband. And it's because I didn't love myself. I didn't know how, and I didn't know what love was. And that's a tough pill to swallow 24 years later to, to still be paying the consequences. I'm legitimately still paying the consequences for that marriage. Like there are still things that are going on in my life that are directly linked to that and they suck. And so one decision made when you're 18 or 19 or even younger, it doesn't just go away once you realize you made a mistake or once you've, you know, for me, already raised a child who's 22 years old and lives in another state and off on his own. Like I'm still paying the consequences from marrying my first husband. So I'm here to try to help anyone and everyone to avoid making those big life mistakes. And I'm still learning this. This has been a huge process for me. I'm still learning it. I'm sure I'll look back at this point in time and say, wow, I really lacked self-love and that's why I made that mistake and that mistake. But I feel like my mistakes are getting smaller and less frequent because I'm learning to truly love myself. Um, I'm, I'm I'm learning that I have to love myself in order to get what I want and what is possible for me out of this one big, beautiful life that I get. And if I can't love me, I can't make choices for me that are for my best. I spent a long time making choices that were completely outside of my best interest simply because I had this big gaping hole in my soul that I didn't know how to fill. And I was looking for the thing, the person, the experience that would fill that. Um, And if I rely on others to love me more than I love me, then I'm just going to stay small and scared and safely where love validates and affirms me. It's called my comfort zone. 
So many of us find ourselves there. And most of the time we stay there because we don't know our own hearts and souls. And if we do even know a little bit, we don't know how to actually love, action verb, love ourselves. So that's what we're talking about today. And I'm really excited about this. Um, I do a lot of reading about love. Reading about love is interesting because it's kind of like if you've ever studied psychology, they don't ever tell you what normal is. They don't really tell you what love is. They can only tell you what it is not. So if you study psychology, you learn about all the disorders and then you extrapolate that if if someone doesn't have all those disorders, they might kind of be normal. <laughs> and so reading about love, it's really interesting, but it's also very abstract and you just kind of find out what love is not, which is very helpful. Um, but I also feel like I've decided for myself what love is and I have found some really good information as, as well that I'm going to share. But um, my history, my childhood, my life with love, um, growing up, as I've talked about here, I was raised in a you know religious environment, in a very strict home, lots of rules. And so love in our house was given and described according to behavior. And this is not rare. Um, anyone, I think my age, can probably relate to parents who really um, disciplined, at least in my era, the discipline was a big thing. It's not so much anymore, I don't think. I'm making an assumption. But so being good got me love. And especially in my environment, um, I was the good girl. I didn't cause trouble. I loved to follow the rules because it got me positive um, reinforcement and love. And misbehavior was the worst. I mean, number one, that was the whole sin quotient because of the religious nature of our household. But my brother, my brother's seven years older than me, and he was very rambunctious and he had a lot of energy. And... Um, he may have been described more of a strong-willed child. I don't know. I didn't know him. I wasn't born yet. But um, he he could be rambunctious and quote-unquote naughty. And then my sister and I came along and we were, you know, we were girls. We were a little more docile. So there was this comparison all the time. Um, my brother was, was, you know, naughty. He was bad. And it, he was made an example to us of basically this is how you shouldn't be. And unfortunately... My brother, I, he did not experience love in our growing up because he was, you know, naughty or he, he broke the rules. He was just desperate for fun and friends. And, you know, he was a boy raised in this environment with no friends, no sports, no school activities, nothing, no outlet for a young boy to be a boy. And so I'm so I'm saying he wasn't naughty. He was in a horrible environment. But um, I had this example put to me. And me as being the youngest, this is my perspective. You know, my sister, she pushed the, the rules a little bit, and that was bad. And my brother, he was naughty, and that was bad. And if all I had to do was follow the rules, I was smiled at. I can still picture the smiles I got. Like, oh, you're so good. And so I learned being good got me love. And when we were bad, another thing that's common in religion is is you weren't taught that that feeling that's that bad feeling inside of guilt when you really do something wrong that that's a good feedback you know like you feel guilty because you did something wrong. It's it's turned into you are bad because you did a good thing. What is wrong with you? For us, it was we need to pray that God removes that from you. Shame on you. The billions of times that I was said, that was said to me, shame on you. Oh my gosh. It was constant. Shame on you. Shame, shame, shame on you. And it, you just end up feeling like a bad human being. Whereas, you know, if I stole quarters off the top of the refrigerator, I felt bad because I shouldn't have done it. But it was turned into like, you are a thief. You are terrible. You are a horrible, terrible thief. So then I'm labeled that I'm a thief and I'm horrible. And yes, I was, I was stealing. I was being a thief. I was acting like a thief. But this is just an example of like how it was that you did not do a bad thing. You are a bad person. And so, and that's unfortunately how human beings often apply religious doctrine to children. And I don't think that it is done in a vicious way or without good intention, but I think it's very damaging. Um, 
you know, religion, and especially in our house, taught that I was never good enough. And also that we weren't allowed to take any pride in anything that we did. You know, pride was also touted as the worst thing. Pride goes before a fall. Um, We read and memorized the chapters, um, verses in Proverbs, talking about pride and the folly of pride. Um, And so if you were good at something, you weren't allowed to say, oh, thanks, like I'm good at playing piano. No, God has blessed me with a gift to play piano and I am lucky enough to sit down and play this piano for you. It has nothing to do with me. And, and that's a, that's a decent idea. You know, we shouldn't be like, wow, I'm the greatest, but to teach a child that you are never to, to internalize any of that about who you are means you end up just not having any idea of what makes you, you, at least for me. And so, you know, Kristen, you played the piano so well, like, obviously I played the piano. I'm using that as an example, but you know, I wasn't allowed to really say like, I am good at playing piano. I wasn't allowed to say it. Other people could say Kristen's good at playing piano, but I was never allowed to say about myself, I'm a good piano player. Um, I was never asked, what are you good at? I was never asked what, who you are. It just wasn't part of the dialogue or the education. Um, what was a big part of it was this idea of the acronym JOY. Jesus, others, you. Jesus is first, everyone else is second. You are dead last. Um, you don't get friends because if you have friends, you rely on them more than you rely on God. God doesn't care if you're lonely. God wants you to love him more than anyone else. Do you need something? Well, someone else probably needs it more. So tough nuggies. And um, especially in our church, it was about dying to self and suffering. And so, you know, I saw my own mom. My mom is a wonderful, beautiful soul suffer and be sad and be deficient in so many beautiful experiences as a human being because she was taught that you're supposed to suffer. So the more you suffer, the sadder you are, the worse things are, the better it is. And it just, it's just sad. You know, my mom is, I could tell you a billion amazing things about my mom. Um, she would never say those things. She would never probably be able to write a list of what is good about her. And that makes me so sad because we should all be able to do that. But so this is the environment that, you know, I was raised up in. And, you know, as, as an adult, one thing I've learned, I'm going to talk about this later too, is that our inner child never grows up. So your soul is basically you as a little child. And for me, my inner child is still there. She's still a little girl. And the internal voice that talks to that little girl is, this, is the voice of my mom. So parents... How you speak to your kids becomes their inner voice. So I hear my mom's voice in my head all the time. And unfortunately, it says things like shame on you. And you're, you screwed up again. And wow, you suck. And it takes work. Every single day, it takes work for me to defeat that voice. Because that voice is not loving. I'm not saying my mom doesn't love me. I love my mom. My mom and I have come a long way. But growing up, that was what it was like. And so if you have a parent relationship like that from your childhood, it's very, very possible that you hear their voice in your head talking down to you, shaming you, not speaking goodness to you. Now, if you were raised by a parent who loved on you and was incredibly positive, you may hear that voice in a positive way, and I hope so. Um, But for those of us that struggle with this, oftentimes there's a voice of our parent, a parent that, that is still inside of us and we hear it all the time. So that's just a little sidebar um, warning. If you're a parent, remember that. I think back to how I spoke to my child. I'm mortified, mortified. I, I was not a positive voice to my child either. And it breaks my heart. I, you know, I, had my child young, I was a mess. And unfortunately, the mess that was me was a mother. And I, you know, I, I, I carry that. It's really hard for me. And so again, I am here to tell my story and to speak about these things in the hopes that maybe someone out there will avoid making some of those mistakes and not carry around the regrets that I carry around. So, um, so yeah, so love in our house, it was definitely, tied to behavior, rule following. 
Um, and then in my situation, and this is very, very common, I did not have the love that I needed from my dad. My dad loved me, but my dad's love language was to work hard and to first do no harm. <laughs> um, my dad was raised by someone who hurt him and hurt people hurt people, whether they mean to or not. And I've, again, I've come to terms with this. I love my dad. I don't have angst or bitterness. I can simply see it for what it was. Um, and I, I love my dad. I just want to make that very clear. I love both my parents very much. The most important relationship in a girl's life is the one with her father, period. And it starts from the time that she can look up and recognize this man as my dad, like baby. And so I didn't have that. My dad was always working. My dad was very quiet. My mom kind of ran the show. Um, and so, and he didn't want to hurt his kids. He didn't want to be like his dad. And so he was kind of hands off. And so I was desperate for male attention, male love, and I didn't have that. And um, what it does with girls is it leads to young, at a young age, fixating on boy attention, approval from boys, dating young, and doing anything to get male approval. And unfortunately, um, teenage boys and young boys, you know, they're all about physical relationships. They're not uh, necessarily emotionally developed. And so what happens is you have these young girls looking for love and male attention, um, and they get it from boys who are just looking for sexual attention. It's so dangerous. Um, and I often, when I talk to, you know, my guy friends that are dads, I just say, you know, if you, if you are not able to give your daughter the time, attention, love, and affection that she needs, she's going to find it somewhere else. And it's going to be a pimply faced <laughs> hormonal boy who isn't going to give her what she needs. And it's scary. It's so scary. So anyway, that was me. I was absolutely, um, completely and totally fixated on male attention and I didn't get any and I was overweight and so even out in the grocery store or in the store the very little that I was in public you know boys didn't look at me thank god I think back and I think thank god what if I had been this attractive little cute thing that boys wanted I would have eaten that up and god knows what I would have done scares me so I'm grateful for uh I'm not grateful for having been a fat kid but I'm grateful for all the things that I was spared that I can't even imagine I could have gotten into so but um anyway so that was you know that was my childhood I being being good got me love and um I had this huge void of needing male attention and affection that I didn't have and um you know in church we didn't have any contact between men and women so men and women shook hands there was never hugging it was only female to female hugging or male to male hugging and so even as a kid like nobody hugged me our house was not affectionate it wasn't like hugging and no kisses on the cheek it just wasn't I remember when I was really little there was more of it um but occasionally we would be at a function or we'd there'd be a visitor at church and there would be a man who didn't know the rule and I would get a hug from a man I'm telling you I would think about it for weeks it was like rain on broken, cracked, desert earth. It's just, it's sad to me. I think back to that and it makes me very sad for her. Um, and so that was, that was me. And so where all of that got me was when I met Donnie, my first husband, I met him. He was really terrible for me, but he gave me attention. He's the first boy to tell me I was beautiful um, we had a long distance relationship, but I mean, he, he called me his queen. He said I was beautiful. I was so incredibly perfect. And it was everything that I wanted to hear. And it did not matter how bad it was. I had what I had never had and I was never going to let it go. And then to add to that, he was controlling. He had rules. And guess what? I know how to function with rules. If I follow the rules, I get love. So all I have to do is be what he wants, follow his rules, and he will love me. Ta-da! And so uh, that's what I did. And for those of you who have listened to the podcast before, um, that didn't go well. Um, he got more and more controlling and more and more abusive, and it got to a point where I could not 
I realized I could not keep him happy, that I could not sacrifice any more of myself and it was dangerous. So eventually I got out of that marriage and that kind of started a lifetime of learning how I got in that situation, how to make sure it doesn't happen again and how to love me and why I need to love me and why I'm continuing that process. So I guess we have to start with what is self-love? And there's lots of ways we can say this, loving yourself, self-esteem, self-worth, but I like the idea of of self-love. What it is not is it's not narcissism. People often say, you know, it's selfish and you're a narcissist. Well, narcissism is actually the opposite of self-love. A narcissist, if you know one, is someone who's most incredibly not sure of themselves, probably loathes themselves. And the only way that they know how to cope with being themselves is to lord themselves over everyone else in an attempt to feel something. So truly loving yourself is not narcissistic and it is not selfish. Self-love, well, so the book Lovability by Robert Holden, I highly recommend this book. I recommend it to everyone and I wish I could give it to every teenage girl. If I had read that book as a teenager, I feel like it would have changed a lot of things. I don't have any way of knowing. But self-love is basically love that you would have for anyone else, but you direct it internally. And in the book Lovability, Dr. Holden describes love as love is what you experience when your soul sees the soul of another. And that is so powerful to me because I immediately think about that with other people I love. But when I turn that in on myself, it's, it's really powerful. So love is what you experience when your soul sees the soul of another or self-love being when your soul sees your own soul. It's the most beautiful experience to recognize yourself to see you and love is seeing and accepting there's no judgment in love and that doesn't mean you're ignoring weaknesses but it's seeing weaknesses and it's not judging or requiring anything to be done or said about them it's just seeing and accepting like a baby like a lo- like a young child It's unconditional now and forever. If nothing ever changes, this is who I am. I see you. And to be able to look in the mirror and not just see my body, I have a body, but not to see my body, but to see me and to say, I see you. And nothing ever has to change for you to be acceptable. That is powerful. That is self-love. And there's degrees of it and depths of it that I am not even close to. But the, the times where I, I have recognized myself and seen myself and accepted myself, those have led to the most powerful and most amazing experiences and decisions of my life. Because it's not about looking at yourself and seeing potential. Like, oh, you can go and be. No, it's saying, who are you? Who do I see? right now so before you can love yourself you have to get to know yourself and we're gonna talk about that too but why is it important that we love ourselves well first of all encountering your own soul it's the most important work you can do hands down because how you feel about yourself determines what you can give to others what you can give to the world what you end up going and doing for yourself and it determines what you expect from others. Because if you have a deficit inside of you, that means you're looking for some external way to fill that. And typically we look to others to give us something. And based on how well they do or do not fill that deficit, we judge them on if they are worthy of being in our life or not. So if you have a deficit inside of you and and you don't love yourself and you don't know yourself, people are tools. People are resources to you. And when we're bankrupt, we can't give anything, much less love. We just look at what we can get. The example of this, so I listen carefully when I hear someone is engaged or they're getting married or they're dating. 
Um, and someone asked them like, well, what do you love about him? It's so common to hear a woman describe the person they're married to or going to marry or the person they're dating, describe them in terms of what they do for them. Oh, I love him because when I wake up in the morning, he gets up and makes my coffee and he always makes sure that the dishes are done before I go to bed and he sets my coat out and he's always making sure that everything is taken care of in the house and that I don't have to do anything and I just love him for taking care of all of that that's so common and it makes me so sad number one as a mom of a boy right like when my boy finally falls in love and someone loves him and they're gonna have a relationship forever I want whoever he's with to tell me all the things about my son that she sees, that she loves. He is kind. He is funny. He is serious. He is silly. He's a hard worker. He is imaginative. He serves others. I don't want to hear how he makes your toast. Like, that's just something he does. And so I don't want to be loved because I make a good protein pancake or because I can do laundry. I want to be loved for who I am. And how can that happen if I don't know who I am and what's lovable about me? So when I meet someone and they're relating to me how they see me, I can say, "Eh, do they really see me? And I can't do that if I don't really see me. So that's why it's really important to know yourself and to love yourself. And um, love is about what you can share of you freely not about getting in return so if you're looking at people that that you love as what am i getting out of this you're not loving them it's it becomes about what what are you getting instead of what you're giving loving someone is about freely sharing because it's a zero-sum game or it's not a zero-sum game when you love someone there isn't like a, a inventory of love in you that you give to them and then when you're out you're out it's not like that. It's not a thing. It's not a possession. Um, it's, it's truly the foundation of loving freely. People can come and go in your life. And this is, this is what's really powerful. So we all have multiple relationships, friendships, sometimes dating relationships. Um, and people are going to come and go in and out of your life. And it's sad when they go. And it's happy when they come. But when you have a strong foundation of self-love... It means that if someone leaves, you are not incomplete and broken. You're sad. You miss them. You miss having them, their presence in your world and the things that you enjoy about them. But you don't find yourself unable to live. When you, when you love yourself, people add to your life. They don't give you life. That is the most important reason to learn how to love yourself. So that everyone else in your world add to your life, but they don't give you life. You do. You have it. You acknowledge it. You recognize it. You see it. You live it. And others around you, you can give, you can accept, and you're okay no matter what. That's not to say that you're not sad when people leave, that you miss people when they leave. not saying that at all. This doesn't mean you become a calloused island Um, but I think you know what I mean. So that's, that's why it's really, really important to love yourself. Um, you have to be responsible for your own self-love and your own self. You are responsible for your own happiness. You are capable of making yourself happy. I am capable of making myself happy. If I'm all alone on a desert island with no outside affirmation, I'm still lovable. And so I'm able to love me. Now, it'll be harder, especially if there's no coffee. (laughs) But that's really the goal is to be able to say, like, I don't have to have external things or people in order to be happy. I am able to love myself, be confident in myself, self-soothe myself so that no matter what the circumstances are, I'm okay. Others don't owe you anything. That's really important. Others owe you zero love with expectation isn't even love it's not even i don't even know what that is but uh, it's it's insane to think that others can know what you need all the time we don't always know what we need all the time they don't owe it to you 
and they can't know. They can't know. So you're responsible for loving yourself. You must learn to love yourself so that the people in your life are not tasked with the impossible task of doing something for you that they are not capable of doing, period. That whole thing that I just said, now that you've heard it, I have a feeling that you're going to go forth in your life and what I have just said is going to ring in your head and it's going to come up in moments that you wouldn't even imagine and it's going to go, oh, that was really true. Other people do not know what I need. They are not responsible for meeting all of my needs. It starts with me. Now, that's not to say other people can't meet your needs. In fact, it's part of self-love to let other people love on you, but we'll talk about that later too. It's really important that you hear me when I say you must love yourself. You must learn how to love yourself and you are responsible for loving yourself. So when I talk about overcoming binge eating and making food rules, I talk about the lizard brain and your true self. So these voices in your head, the two voices, you have an angel on a shoulder, a devil on the shoulder. The angel is truly you. The devil is your primal brain. That is also, uh, it also factors in when you're talking about self-love because if you pay attention to those voices in your head, like I said before, that voice that's talking down to you is typically um, the voice of one of your parents, if you had a domineering parent. Um, but basically our truest self, our soul, if you think of yourself as a baby or maybe a dog, (laughs) um, your inner voice, your soul, it's when you're, when you're born as a baby, you have no judgment. There is no judgment about you. You're just delightful. You delight in silly little things. That's basically what your inner soul always is. It's, it's, happy, judgment-free existence. And so that inner child, that inner baby, it does not grow up. You don't have, I don't have a 42-year-old inner voice. It's, it's an inner child. It's this beautiful little soul that doesn't judge and that craves love and, and affirmation. And the other voice that throws crap at it is not me. That is judgment. That is the primal brain. That is the voice of everyone who's ever talked down to you or told you that you're not good enough. And that voice needs to go away. It needs to be shut up. It needs to be argued with and shut down. Our inner child does not grow up. That internal voice, it craves affirmation. That's why it feels so good when someone compliments us. Is there anything better than a compliment? No, there's not. If you think there is, then I I disagree with you. But it's because we have a little child in us that just wants to hear, good job, and you're amazing, and oh my goodness, look what you did. Oh my goodness, look at you. The inner you is a little happy little baby. How would you talk to a happy little baby? How would you talk to a four or five-year-old who comes running up to you to show you a drawing they made that looks like crap, but they're so proud of it. You would say, oh my goodness, look what you did. Not like, well, you're really terrible at drawing. You should totally never do that again. Like that's, that's disgusting and heinous. Why did you think you could draw? We wouldn't say that, but we say that to ourselves all the time. Especially when we try something for the first time. At least I do. I try something for the first time. I'm not automatically good at it. I'm like, wow, you suck. Which is insane when you really step back and look at it. But we do this to ourselves. We look in the mirror and say things like, oh, you're fat. You're floppy. You're lazy. Or you're so behind in life. No, if you talk to a little kid like that, they'd believe you. Because you're in charge. Like the grown-up is in charge. So if you think about like the power you have as a grown-up to talk to the little child in you, you're in charge. She believes you. Everything you tell her, she's going to believe you. So make sure you're telling her the truth. Say like, wow, you do look a little fat today. Well, you did eat pizza yesterday. Guess what? You aren't going to look like this tomorrow. And if you do, it's okay. What are we going to do today? How about we look in the mirror and say, wow, you have a really nice nose. Your nose isn't fat. (laughs) It's silly sometimes. 
But truly, truly, when we hear that voice that is crappy in our head, we have to think about like, no, protect that little child in you from it. If someone walked up to a little child and said all that crap to them, you would jump in and be like, why are you talking to her like that? And you would do everything you could to get between that child and that person and reassure that child of the truth. No, 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 honey. You're really good at drawing. That's beautiful. I love how this little swoopy red line goes off the paper so I can imagine where it went before it came back on. Look at how pretty the colors are that you chose. You would do everything in your power to erase the bad man's voice that just came and yelled at this little kid and you would, you would do everything you could to convince that little child that they did do a good job and that it is good enough. That is the power of the inner voices in us. If you're talked down to as a child, if you're told horrible things, that voice is in you and, and it brings shame and it saps your energy. And I'm telling you, there's so many adults that I know that can tell me word for word the most painful, hurtful thing that was ever said to them and how it shaped the trajectory of their self-esteem. And usually it's from a parent and usually it's about something external and it's so sad And so it can take an entire lifetime to erase that loud, powerful voice or that even that one loud, powerful sentence that was said to us that we remember 25 years later. But it's possible and it just takes practice and we can implement that because our inner voice of shame is the opposite of love. And it's our job as the grown-up adult to love that inner child like love on her, talk her up. It's, it's actually kind of fun. How do you action verb love on yourself? Well, first of all, you have to get to know you. Um, and sometimes that can be a little hard, but I encourage you to write it down, to journal, to make lists. You often have to just start with the small things to just notice your goodness, not judgment, not assessing, but just notice it, write it down. I am good with numbers. Um, I am funny. Um, I like pink things. Pink makes me smile. The fact that pink's, pink makes me smile is actually a trait, honestly. Does the smell of popcorn make you drool? Write that down. That's part of who you are. Popcorn doesn't make everyone drool. It makes you drool. That's kind of cool. So those are the things. Just notice them. Write them down, brag on them. You don't have to call someone up and tell them all the good things about you. Write it down, tell them to you, say them out loud. But simply think about like the, when you first started dating someone, how you noticed everything about them and you wanted to talk about it all the time. Do that about yourself. Become obsessed with figuring out all those little nuances about yourself. This is not selfish. This is not self-centered. This is power truly and also this is not about writing your identity or your roles so it's often we'll start writing these lists i'll start writing these lists and it'll morph into less traits about me and more into like my roles like i'm a good wife i'm a good mom i'm a good accountant i'm a good employee so it's great to know okay well you're good at those things but taking it a step further to say okay well i'm a good wife why? Why am I a good wife? Well, I'm good at anticipating needs. Um, I sense things. Oh, okay. There's a trait. I'm a good listener. Awesome. Um, I'm an analytical person. I have a mind for numbers. I see order when I see a spreadsheet. Those are the traits. Not that I'm a good accountant, but why am I a good accountant? Because those are the parts of me. I write those down. I'm gentle. I'm patient. So identity in a role is actually the opposite of knowing you. The reasons that you're good at a certain role is you. So that's the differentiation there. Let's talk about identity for just a second because this is one that trips people up a lot. It's tripped me up many times. Your identity is gonna change many times between the time you were born and the time that you die. You take on different roles and because we're in a different role, it morphs and changes and we start to identify. So if you don't have a strong sense of who you are, 
when those roles change and your identity shifts, it's really hard to navigate. So for example, a sad example, say you're married and you get divorced. If you have made being a wife your entire life and your identity, and that's all you know yourself as, I'm good at wifing, then what? (laughs) For me, I wasn't even able to leave my first marriage, partly because I didn't know who I was if I wasn't the wife of someone who was terrible, who was making it work. I was a long-suffering martyr. I was a victim, and it was my identity. But I was the powerful victim because I'm going to make this work. Other people couldn't. Other people wouldn't. I will. So then when I did leave, I had no idea who I was as a person. And it wasn't pretty. I, I had to come face to face with how I made decisions and how I dealt with mistakes and how I dealt with successes when I was just Kristen. And everything I did now was just about Kristen, not about Kristen the wife. It, it was so disorienting. Um, same thing when my son moved away and went and lived in North Carolina and I no longer had a child at home. Well, who am I if I'm not a single mom? I don't know. What do I, what do, I do? Who am I? Who is Kristen? I'm not a wife. I'm not a mom. I'm not a single mom. That's an identity. Um, And so part of understanding who I am has had to be further and further drilled down outside of those roles. So it's not identity. It's parts of your soul that you're really trying to get to know. So I, I like to play a little game. How would you describe your soul if it was a room? What does it look like? And... I have a lot of fun with this. So when I say my soul is, it's a slow room. It's like glowing pink. Britney Spears music is playing softly in the corner. There's a doggy there. Um, the floor is like fluffy. It's like soft on your feet, which is funny because I have a, like 17 fluffy rugs in my apartment. Um, and then I think about what I what do I want to do in this room? Like what... What would Kristen in the most Kristen way do in this room? Well, I would be laughing with people. I would be working out with people. There'd be people there. I would want to be touching people. I would want to be touched. I definitely want a doggy there. I'd want a book there. I'd want coffee there. I would want to see people relaxing and laughing. And so that's that tells me a lot about what lights me up when I think about my soul as a place and imagine what's going on there. And it's really fun. It makes me a little emotional because I love that scene because I love the essence of who I am. I love that I love pink. I love that when I see a pretty little flower, it makes me cry. I don't know why it makes me cry. It just does. And that's so fun. So this isn't all work work. Some of it is just imagination and really delving into the things that light you up. And that should light you up. So also spending time with you is really important to get to know you. So if you imagine that room, imagine what you'd be doing in it. Imagine doing it. So maybe you don't have a lot of time, but maybe you have an hour. What did you just imagine in that room? Can you go do that? Can you go get a book and a dog and a fluffy a fluffy rug? Can you put a fluffy rug in your room next to a chair with a book and say, you know what? I'm going to spend time reading in that chair with my fluffy rug every day or once a week. Um, when you think about your favorite person in the world, and you think like, how can I make a day special for them? If like, say if it was your, your spouse or the most person you love most in the world, it's their birthday and it's up to you to give them a day that makes them absolutely overjoyed. What would you do for them? You'd, you'd think of, oh, I go to their favorite restaurant and we would do this activity and this and this. Think about if it's your special day and you have a chance to make an entire day the most special day for you ever. What would you do? Maybe you can't do a whole day. Maybe it's an hour. 
do that for you. Sometimes when you do this exercise, it's funny for me when I, when I say, okay, I have to stop. I had to take some time for me. What do I want to do? My brain jumps to all these things. Like I want to take a, a trip or I want to go on a boat or I want to go to the movies or whatever. And then I actually think about doing it. I'm like, actually, you know what I want to do? I want to lay down and screw around on my phone and do nothing. And so that's what I do. So it may not be extravagant what it is that you really want to do with some me time. (laughs) It might just be going in the room, shutting the door, telling everyone to leave you alone, leaving your phone and everything out, and just reading a book or laying there doing nothing. Or maybe you just want to go in your closet and put on a pretty dress you haven't worn in a while and just feel it on your body. Whatever it is, spend some time with you. And before you spend that time, imagine that you're creating that space for your favorite person in the entire world, you. It's really powerful. Now, if you're married, you have kids, you have responsibilities, obviously I'm I'm coming from a place of I'm a single woman and I live alone and I have all of my time is mine. I work and outside of my full-time job, I get to do whatever I want. So I realize that I'm speaking to you from a yacht. (laughs) But I will venture that even if you are married with 17 kids and a full-time job, you can carve out a few minutes for yourself and you must because you cannot pour from an empty vessel. It's even more important that you know and love on yourself if you are in that situation, if other people rely on you. You cannot pour from an empty vessel. You have to put something inside. And hopefully you have people around you that also pour things inside of you and give to you and give you energy and all of that. But at the end of the day, you must be able to pour some love back into yourself in the way that most suits what you need. And the only person who knows that is you. And you know what? A happy, loving person is better to be around And you should never be with someone who does not respect your right or your need to invest in yourself and help you. They should help facilitate you having space for that. Because when you leave and spend some time with yourself and do whatever it is that lights you up, you're going to come back content. It takes the pressure off of others to to make you feel good and meet your needs. And you're more fully you. And the people around you should want the most you version of you. The most fresh, the most rejuvenated, the most loved on person possible. And often you must do some of that for yourself. Self-love in action, it does not mean that you're going to be easy on yourself or not accountable. So part of self-love is, is doing lovable things. And so... You may find that you don't have anything you're proud of. Maybe you have never finished anything. Maybe you've hurt people. Maybe you've done things you've had big consequences for. Again, think back to being that little child. Do you need to beat that little child for the rest of your life for those failures, for those mistakes? How long do you need to hurt that child? How long? Till you're 50? Till you're 60? to your 75, how long do you have to hurt that child in you for doing those things that you shouldn't have done or for not doing anything? How long? Put a number on it. Do you need to beat yourself up for another 10 years? Do you need to stop achieving to stay right where you are right now in your life forever because that little child and you did something wrong? How long do you have to punish him or her? Put a number on it. This is absurd. And that's why it's important. Let yourself go. Let her or him off the hook. It's over. Yes, you may have consequences. I have consequences that I'm still paying for. But guess what? That little girl in me, she didn't know. She was doing the best she could at the time. She didn't know. And I'm not going to spend another moment of my life punishing her. 
I just won't. I made that decision a long time ago. I won't hurt her further. She's already been hurt by her own actions. I won't, I won't put one more ounce of hurt on her. I love her. I want her to thrive and grow and be and become everything that she can be in this one big beautiful life. She deserves that. She didn't know. So if you have failed heinously, maybe you didn't know. You can stop adding to the hurt. You can stop punishing yourself. You can say, you know what? I'm going to have consequences, but I love you. And you can wrap yourself in a big old emotional hug and say, let's go. Let's go do something else now. Let's forget this. Let's move on. Let's go get what we can go get out of this big, beautiful life. You can change your life. Your history does not determine your future. If your little child falls down and scrapes all the skin off of her knee, you do not get in her face and say, this is it for you. This is it for you. You will never ride a bike. You will never walk. This is it. And then carry her around and show everyone her mistake for the rest of her life. You wouldn't do it. So don't do it to yourself. If that's what you're doing, stop doing it now. The future is yours. I didn't mean to say all of that, but I did. So forgive yourself and start now. Start doing lovable things. And sometimes it can be teeny tiny. Like you may not even know where to start here. It can be teeny tiny. Like I am going to set the coffee machine up the night before so that when I wake up in the morning, I don't have to do anything and I just get woken up to the smell of coffee because I'm going to love that. You just did something loving for yourself. That's so easy, right? It's little things like that. Many people say, I want to, um, for instance, I coach a lot of people um, with weight loss and fitness goals. You know, when I get into a size eight, I'm going to buy myself a cocktail dress and I'm going to go out for a fancy night out with my husband. I've heard that one a lot. I say, why don't you buy a fancy cocktail dress in the size you are now and go out to dinner with your husband now? Why don't you deserve that now? Why do you have to lose 40 pounds to deserve to wear a pretty dress and go out to dinner with your husband? Answer that question. So many of us have the same mindset, and it probably came from when we were little, of I have to do something in order to deserve something. You do not. You do not. Does your heart want to go buy a sparkly cocktail dress and go out to a fancy dinner with your husband? Then do it. If it's practical, you can do it. We also have to change the dialogue that's going on in our inner voice. So I talked a little bit about these voices in our head. So your inner voice is your inner child that did not grow up. I know I keep repeating myself, but I want you to remember this. When you hear the adult you criticizing that little boy or girl inside of you, you have to stop it. You have to respond. No one else can hear what you're saying in your head. So no one else can defeat the lies. No one, it's like the little kid standing there and this big monster yelling at that little kid. No one else can hear that. The only person who can get between that little child and that big angry voice is is you. You, you're yelling, you're the child, and then now you can stop it. See, you have all of this power. So when you look in the mirror and you hear, God, you're ugly. Oh, are you going to let that stand? Are you going to let you going to let you talk to you like that? <laughs> it sounds so crazy. I sound like a crazy person. But are you going to let you talk to you like that? Are you going to let you talk to you like that? Really? Would you let somebody talk to your kid like that? Would you let a stranger talk to another stranger, a little 5-year-old on the street talk like that? No, you wouldn't. At least I hope you wouldn't. So you got to get in between and say, "Shut up." Do not talk to me like that. Absolutely not. And then you get in the face of that little child and you say, you are beautiful. You are enough. You do not have to measure up to the standard of whoever it was that you saw on Instagram earlier today. That's some symbol of beauty. You are beautiful. You are worthy. Look at you. 
You are this amazing vessel that's carrying this stunning, awesome soul around the world. And everybody gets to experience you. You are rad. And off you go. It's hard because if, if you're used to listening to that and internalizing it and womp womp, you don't even notice. But you have all of the power. And you're not always going to remember to do it. You're not always going to do it. You're not always going to feel strong enough to stand up and get between those two voices. I have been there a lot lately where, I, especially with comparison, I talked about it on a recent episode. I feel good about myself. I see someone else. I compare. And all of a sudden, that adult voice is saying, you're never going to have good muscles. You're never going to be good enough. You're, you're an idiot to think you can change your body. You're, this is pathetic. You're a 42-year-old old woman trying to do something ridiculous. And I was like, yeah, what am I doing? This is stupid. I mean, the little girl in me just wilted. And it took me days to realize, like, no. And to get between those two voices and do damage control and say, "Uh uh-uh. You are 42 and you are still wrong. And you can do whatever you want to do. And you don't have to be that chick. You don't have to be anybody but you and the best version of you. So get out there and do your thing. And then I did. But it took me some time. But that is the power that we have. And guess what? Nobody knew that was going on in my head. So nobody, nobody could pep talk me out of it. Nobody knew. Nobody heard it. Nobody saw it. And so if I didn't know how to encourage myself and to shut that awful voice up, no one would have. So that is why it's so important to know how to do this and to practice it with the little things. So in those big moments when it's super loud and super defeating, you got this. It may take a little time, but you know how to pull yourself back up by your bootstraps. You know how to give that inner child a hug. You know how to say, no, you are awesome, it's okay, and love on her. Because you've been doing it with the little things. And so the big things are harder, but you still know how to do it. So powerful. I just think it's so exciting when you really realize the power that we have. Yes, we have the power to do incredible harm to our own self. But we have even more power to absolutely turn it around and become incredible, powerful souls going out there to do all the things. It's so cool. So how do I love on myself? I'm still learning the skill. Um, I think that it started for me when I first um, was a single mom and I was kind of coming into my own. Katy Perry's This Girl Is On Fire. No, not Katy Perry. Alicia Keys' song This Girl Is On Fire was on the radio. And I wrote This Girl Is On Fire in lipstick on my mirror. And it was there for the entire, I think I lived in that apartment for five years. It was just there. I just cleaned around it. And... There were many days I'd, you know, come out of the shower and the mirror was right there and I would just be like, oh God. And then I look and I'd see this girl is on fire and I would think, yes, I am. I am a single mom. I am paying my own bills. I am making my own decision. I am keeping a roof over my son and me. I am doing the things. And it was so powerful for me. That lipstick mantra, I'm telling you, got me through so many days, just lit me up, lit a fire under my butt and just affirmed to me that, yeah, I'm doing this. I never thought that I could do this. My ex-husband had me convinced that I was stupid, that I was an idiot, that I could never make it without him, that he would destroy me and that I would never have anything without him. And I believed it until I didn't. And so to be on my own and to be a mom, taking my kid, kept him in private school, dealt with like so, I mean, so much financial crap from my ex-husband. It's not even funny. And I still, I got up, I got a job as a temp um, at a law firm as just an accounting accounts payable temp. And then they posted for the accounting manager job and I applied for it and I got it. And I was like, I'm an accounting manager at a law firm. I'm respected. I do a really good job. I get myself to work. I get my son to school. I handle all the things. I pay my bills. All of this by myself. And I never thought that I could do that. My husband most definitely, (laughs) 
he would scoff at me when I would talk about leaving and that I could be okay. And then here I was doing it. I don't know. I'm so proud of that girl. She was a badass. I'm so proud of her because it was so hard. It was so hard. And this girl is on fire on my mirror. I'm telling you, when you find a mantra that resonates with you, write it. Who cares? Like I had people over, they saw it on my mirror. Who cares? I mean, you don't have to use lipstick, but like put it where you see it. You live in your house. Put something like that where you see it. It's incredibly empowering. Um, so there's an idea for you. Um, and I just started to notice things that I liked about myself. Um, I told myself, like, I'm a good writer. I would just say that. I would define the things that I did well as part of who I was. I'm a good writer. Um, I started talking to myself and giving myself pep talks in front of the mirror. I would write mantras. Um, I would reflect. I would say, wow, a year ago I was here. Now I'm here. That's awesome. And I would think of all the little things along the way and be like, good job. I mean, it sounds so childish, but it kind of is. But it's so cool because that inner child in you loves it. It loves it. And your inner child may sound differently than mine. I don't know. But you know what works for you. Think about the things that other people have said to you that have been the most impactful and powerful, that's the kind of stuff that you need to say to yourself. Think about why it mattered to you that they said that. I remember when I had a miscarriage. I miscarried a set of twins in 2001. I was devastated. And it was just a really difficult thing for me. And I got a basket of daisies delivered from one of our friends. And in the card, it just said, all will be well. And I remember that card penetrated deep inside of me because when people go through hard things, often people around them don't know what to say and so they say nothing. And it, that card, it just said to me, this guy, it was a guy who had never been married, never had kids, certainly didn't really, have never had a miscarriage, didn't probably know much about it. He didn't know what necessarily the right thing to say but he did something and he said something and all he said was all will be well he didn't go on and on but he did something and it mattered to me and so often when we think about how we can best speak to ourselves we think about those moments like for that all will be well doing something when I'm low and I'm down, I buy myself flowers because sometimes I don't know what to say to myself either. Sometimes I don't have the words. Sometimes I don't know either. I'm not saying I know how to love myself all the time and invest in myself perfectly. Sometimes I don't know either. And so I go back to those flowers and that card and that was love. And so I buy myself flowers and then I, it doesn't fix anything, but buying myself flowers has been a powerful way for me to love the little girl inside of me. And so I, I'm confident that if you think back to those moments in your life, you'll find these little nuggets, these little, little hints and clues that point to the deepest most beautiful parts of you that are penetratable by action verb love. Oh, I'm all cryy. When I moved into my apartment um, after I left G, I bought myself flowers every week. And I, until I didn't need to anymore. You know, it's, it wasn't expensive. There's a Trader Joe's down the street. I think I got the $4 bouquet, but um, it meant so much to me. And it was something that I could do for me. So those are the little things. Um, I also am a terrible dancer, but I really love to dance. And I won't dance in public because it's just so bad. And the times that I have, people just literally point and laugh. In fact, my friends Megan and Juice were trying to teach me to dance. And they just legit straight up laughed at me. And I was like, you guys are mean. Because I'm actually trying. I'm here saying, hi, I really need you to teach me something. And they were laughing so hard they couldn't. So whatever, screw them. Um, but I dance in the shower and now in my apartment, I just dance around. I don't care. And I love that I'm a terrible dancer and that I do it anyway. I don't care. I do. I mean, in my head, 
I am amazing. And then I catch my reflection in the sliding glass door and I'm like, oh dear God, it looks like I'm having a seizure. But whatever, I do it anyway. Um, I also thank myself. This sounds weird, but I do. I thank myself for showing up. Period. And I often say, you don't have to do anything ever again. You are already enough. That one is important to me because I tend to push, 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 push and do hard things. And I validate myself on that too much. And so I have to thank myself, say, thank you for showing up. And if you never accomplish anything ever again, you are already enough. That is really hard for me to believe unless I say it to myself out loud. And so I do. I have to. I don't do it every single day, but I do it most days. I don't have to do anything ever again to be worthy of intensely loving myself. I exist. It's enough. You are enough. The end. So there you have it. Self-love. It's important to learn how to cultivate it within yourself. I hope I've given you some things to think about, maybe some ideas to start implementing in your own head, in your own heart and mind. It's just so interesting because all of these things just happen in our own minds. You know, the world is going on, people are living their lives, and we're sitting here in our own hearts and minds having a relationship with ourselves. Even if we're not conscious of it, and we're not aware it's happening, and we're not intentionally loving on or tearing ourselves down, it's happening. And so putting some intention there, putting some incredibly useful moments of recognizing what's being said in our own minds and working to correct the verbiage, to correct the message, and to intentionally be as good to ourselves as we want to be to the people we love most. We should love ourselves most because that enables us to love others the way that we really want to love. So that's all I have for you today. Thanks for bearing with my little bursts of emotions. <laughs> um, I really appreciate all of you that are here. I love all of you. I'd love to hear from you individually. If you have something you want to say, suggest, argue, or if you have podcast topic ideas, or just simply want to talk about your personal weight loss and health and fitness goals, you can email me, Kristen, at destinationbegin.com. You can always find me on Instagram too. I'm posting there all the time. That is destination underscore begin. And you can also just check out my website, destinationbegin.com. <laughs>